Okay, let's make your way back to your seats if you would, please. What another uh, great morning of worship this morning, and uh, I'm just always, I just always want to remind uh, us here of how blessed we are to have um, such a godly group of people lead us in worship, and such a talented group of people. Uh, it's great that they're godly. It's also wonderful that they're very talented, and uh, they're good singers and uh, musicians, and they love Christ, and uh, what a blessing for us as a church to have them um, have them up here leading us, and and their heart really, I know, is for us to to not be the worship team up here, and and then we're just the little people out there, but to really inspire us to worship, kind of like the psalmist who said, "Come, let us sing and exalt the Lord together." Uh, I know that's Luke and Alyssa and Stacy and the rest of them. Their heart uh, for us. Well, this is um. Oh, someone's getting kind of noisy back there. Who is that? I know who. Okay, so this is the um, probably the last regular message for uh, our series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, We're not exactly sure what we're going to do next week, just with uh, questions that we may field if uh, if if more come in, or I'm not sure what we've gotten for questions, but. um, so we'll see, but this week's message is probably the last regular message uh, on the Holy Spirit. And up until now, we've spent a lot of time talking about, I think we, the first message we started on was that the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our full inheritance, and that it, the, the gift of the indwelling Spirit is uh, such a precious and amazing gift, it might be called the gift of all gifts that God has given to us through Christ. Um, then we moved on and we talked about the you know the other works of God by the Holy Spirit in our lives, bearing witness to us that we belong to God, that we are his children. We've talked about the fruit of the Spirit, again, this inner work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, um, making us more like Christ in our hearts and our character and our affections, things like that. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, etc., all the way to self-control. Uh, then we spent some time talking about the gifts of the Spirit. I know I'm skipping over some, some, some of the subjects we've talked about, but the gifts of the Spirit, how the Holy Spirit wants to anoint believers to minister to one another in the context of the body of Christ. And so uh, all these gifts that have been given, gifts of uh, wisdom and knowledge, tongues interpretation, prophecy, healing, miracles, uh, encouragement, all of these gifts have been given to the church given to believers to build up the church and edify the church. Um, now, there's one subject that's kind of, you know, the obvious thing that we haven't talked about, and that is how does the Holy Spirit affect our witness outside of church, outside of the body of Christ, outside of the walls of the church? How does the Holy Spirit affect our lives so that when we leave here, we are powerful witnesses of Jesus? powerful and courageous witnesses of Christ. That's what I want to talk about today. And I, this is kind of a risky subject uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, one is because it, it, it might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. I know it makes me feel uncomfortable to, to talk about you know, an area that I, I really want to grow in and see some, some weakness and some, some, some need for growth in this area in my own life. And oftentimes when we talk about reaching out, evangelism, being witnesses for Christ, it just causes discomfort. Uh, But this is for all of us. The Holy Spirit wants to empower us and give us courage and power to witness to him. And so we're going to talk about this today. All right, so brace yourself. Um, let's, Let's dive in. Let's see what God's word says. My desire is not to preach my experience. It's not to preach because my experience is limited. All right, all of all of our experience is limited. My desire today is to try to unfold what the scriptures say regarding this subject. So, I read a quote this last week by two guys 
who wrote a book, named, their names were Alvin Reed and Malcolm McDowell. They wrote a book called How God Has Shaped History Through Revivals, and it says this, the end, excuse me, the end results in a revived church are that Jesus is Lord, the Holy Spirit is unleashed, the Father is glorified, the church is edified, and the lost are evangelized. When we talk about the subject of the Holy Spirit given to believers in order to enable us to be courageous and bold and powerful witnesses of Jesus, it really gets to the heart of, or it's very central in Jesus' own understanding of the coming of the Spirit. Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, uh, wait until you're clothed with power from on high. Or Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is a very well-known verse, and Jesus said this. The apostles wanted to know if he was going to establish the kingdom, if he was going to usher in the, the end times, you might say. And Jesus said, don't worry about that, but just worry about this. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be empowered to be a witness about me wherever you go. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So this is very central in the mind of Christ that when the Holy Spirit comes, he sets us toward the mission of Christ. So, I want to read a few verses out of Acts chapter 4. It's in your bulletin. Uh, I invite you to open up your Bibles if you have your Bibles with you. Acts 4, verses 23 to 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the, by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and, and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray. Father, you are worthy. You are worthy of our singing. You are worthy of our listening to your word. You're worthy of our entire lives. You're worthy of us reorienting our lives to fit in with your plan. And God, I pray that today you would give us humility. I pray you give us ears to hear. God, I pray that you give us a willing heart, a meek heart, like James says, receive with meekness the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Give us meekness, God, teachableness today to receive your word. And God, I pray that we would uh, receive it like the man who, uh, whose, whose heart is like good soil and that it would produce fruit in our lives. God, when we leave this morning, God, I pray that my desire, Lord, from this morning is that we would be um, empowered to be courageous and effective witnesses of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. So God, come and do your work. You have to do this. Um, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to pose a question that goes to the heart of where I want to go this morning. And it's this, should we seek God for courage to speak about Christ or should we seek God for healings, signs, and wonders to bear witness to Christ? Should we seek God for courage to be bold witnesses and tell people about Jesus or should we seek God for healings, signs, and wonders to help bear witness about Jesus? My answer is yes. Yes what? Yes both. These are not in conflict. These desires for God to give us courage to, so that we can just courageously and freely, in love, but courageously and freely, 
witness about Jesus by speaking the gospel to others and this desire for God to come in powerful demonstrations of his spirit are not in conflict. They weren't in the early church. Therefore, they shouldn't be for us. The early church, we see in this passage, clearly wanted both. They didn't just say, God, give us courage. They did say that. They said, God, grant us boldness. But they were also unashamed in asking God, God, stretch out your hand, heal, do signs and wonders in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So the answer is yes, we should seek God for courage. We should seek God for powerful signs and wonders, healings to bear witness to Christ. Here's the big idea I want to get across today. Here's the, the, here, if you leave with nothing else, I want you to leave with this. God pours out his spirit upon Christians in order to make them courageous and powerful witnesses of Christ. Courageous in that they're, they have courage to speak and powerful in that they are enabled to do things in the power of the spirit that they couldn't otherwise do. And all, both of these co- go, come together to witness about Jesus. This is such a key text for us, I think, because we see clearly that the early Christians were seeking to live out the mission given to them by praying that God would give them what they needed to carry out this mission. Now, when they prayed, does it seem like God was pleased with their prayers? It really does, doesn't it? I mean, he loved their prayers. Whatever they prayed, we're going to dive into that in a bit. Whatever they prayed, God liked it. I mean, the place where they were praying began to shake. And God's answer to their prayer was, the place shook and he poured his spirit out upon them. He answered them powerfully. So what did they pray for? Well, first, I've already given it away, but first they prayed for courage to speak about Christ. They clearly prayed for this. They said, God, see their threats. Look at their threats, God, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So they prayed for boldness. They prayed for courage. Anyone here ever feel like they need courage? I mean, sometimes I feel so, and I don't know why, you step out and you share your faith, and it's like, oh, that was so great. God, thank you. And then the next time you're like, you're, it's like starting over from square one again. You're like fearful and tongue-tied and feel like your lips are mute. I feel the same way. These guys felt at least that pressure to be silent. And so they prayed for boldness. But they also prayed that God would stretch out his hand to heal. They said, while you stretch out your hand to heal. And they also prayed that signs and wonders would be performed through the name of Christ. So they knew that courage was needed because their message would come up against much resistance. They knew that their message was going to be resisted. We only need to look at what passage leads up to this prayer. In Acts chapter 3, we see that John and, and Peter are on their way to the temple or the synagogue to pray at the hour of prayer. There was a lame man there and they healed him. And all the people around said, we know this lame guy. He's healed now. They gathered together. Peter began preaching. Well, the religious establishment did not like that at all. So they arrested them. They said, do not preach Christ anymore. And they let them go and they threatened them. And so they felt this resistance. They had been threatened. Don't do this anymore. And so they wanted courage. No doubt they felt the pressure to be silent, to keep their religious beliefs to themselves because they were disrupting the status quo. And so they prayed for boldness. However, even in the face of hostile Jewish people, pagan cultures we see throughout the book of Acts, and even the entire oppressive Roman government, courage was one of the defining characteristics of the early church. Check out some of these examples. In fact, Martin Lloyd-Jones goes so far to say that the primary evidence, or the two primary evidences of a church full of the Holy Spirit is one, joy, Joy, okay, we're happy in Christ. And two, boldness and courage. And this was something that defined the early church all throughout the book of Acts. We start with the day of Pentecost. 
I mean, only 50 days prior, Peter had denied Jesus three times, or roughly 50 days. And then now he's standing up before a large crowd of people he knows are not going to like what he has to say. And he says, this Jesus, you crucified. You think that took courage? Absolutely. All right? He was not, he was not always a man of great courage, was he? But this took tremendous courage. We also see in, in Acts chapter 9, verses 29, excuse me, verses 27 to 29. It says this, but Barnabas took Paul, Saul at this time, and brought him to the apostles. This was after Saul had been converted to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. So, Paul, so Saul was saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and what was one of the characteristics of his life? Boldness. In Acts chapter 13, we see this again. Verse 46 says this, And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly to the Jewish people. Listen to what they say. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. That's boldness, right? But that's not it. In Acts chapter 14, verse 3, It says that Paul and Barnabas in Iconium, they remained there for a long time speaking boldly. They were courageous. They had boldness. In Acts chapter 18, we see the same thing. Verse 26. Let me turn there real quick. This is Apollos after he had been saved and he started speaking about Christ. It says he began to speak boldly in the synagogue before Jewish people about Jesus Christ. Again, in Acts chapter 8, 19, verse 8, it says Paul entered the synagogue and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading the Jewish people about the kingdom of God. And at the very end of the book of Acts, the very last passage, it says this. Paul is under house arrest now, and it says this. And he lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. With all boldness. Later on in in, uh, uh, Paul's life, as he's writing the book of Ephesians, knowing that he's going to go preach the gospel, he asks the people, please pray for me that I would speak boldly as I ought to. So they wanted boldness. They wanted courage. And we see that the early church was just that. They were a bold church. They were a church full of courage. They spoke boldly in the face of hostility wherever they went. But they also prayed for healings, signs, and wonders to take place. Now, we have to see this. They were not just open to healing. They were not just open to signs and wonders, but they were desperate for them. They prayed for them. They said, God, do this. Stretch out your hand. Heal. Do signs and wonders. So we need to ask the question, why? Why did they want so badly for God to stretch out his hand and heal? Why did they want God to perform signs and wonders? This was a generation that had seen Jesus risen from the dead. Hundreds of people had seen Jesus alive from the dead. They had such a powerful witness of the risen Christ, and yet they still asked God for healings and signs and wonders. They had immediate and compelling access to the evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not only that, but the preaching of God's word was so anointed, so powerful, so effective. The testimony of the risen Christ was so real and so convincing, and yet they said, God, we want you to stretch out your hand and heal and do signs and wonders. So we need to ask the question, why? I think this is why. Healing, healings, excuse me, signs and wonders 
were sought after, and they were sought after. They weren't just open to them. They wanted to see them because these things helped to bring people to saving faith. And that's really not even disputable in the book of Acts. It's just over and over again, we see this. Over and over again, we see that God used the preaching of his word and powerful demonstrations of the Holy Spirit to bring lost people to faith in Jesus Christ. Again, we only need to look at the preceding passage in Acts 3 and the beginning of Acts 4 to see a clear example of this. In Acts chapter 3, it says this, verses 9 to 12. This is after the the lame man had been raised up and totally healed. This guy had been lame for a long time. People had seen him sitting outside the temple for years begging for money. And they saw him healed. And it says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Verse 12, and when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though it is by our own power or piety that, the, that made this man walk, that made this man well? And then what did he do? He preached the gospel. He spoke about Christ. And we see later on that in chapter 4, that 2,000 people come to faith in Jesus. It says 3,000 were saved on the day of Pentecost. It says later on in Acts chapter 4 that now there are 5,000 who were added to the church. So what? So this amazing thing happened and Peter preached the gospel and people were like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. They're preaching about Christ. They're saying it's faith in this Jesus that made this happen. They trust in Christ. But this is not an isolated incident, but we see a pattern throughout the New Testament ministry of this. In fact, there are so many examples where powerful signs or healings help to bring unbelieving people to faith, but I just want to give you a few. One is in Acts chapter 5. I should say a few more. I've already given you one. One is in Acts chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. If you have your Bibles open, just flip the page, or maybe it's on the same page. It says this, verses 12 to 16. says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of men and women. Did you guys hear that? Things, amazing things were happened. And more than ever, People were added to the Lord, men and women, so that they even carried out their sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. I think we see that clear connection that through miracles, healings, wonders of God, Many were added to the Lord. Now, some might say, but that was the apostles. That was Peter. That was John. That was those first dudes that saw Jesus. They walked with him. Those were the the guys that were appointed by Jesus to be the, the foundation of the church, the apostles, right? I say amen to that. But we see others besides just the apostles doing this. We only need to turn to Acts chapter 8, and we see Philip, who after... Uh, Stephen died and the, and the church was scattered because of persecution. It says that uh, Philip went down to Samaria. And if you look at Acts chapter 8, uh, let's see, verses 4 to 8, it says this. And those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. They heard him preaching. He didn't just have a signs and wonders ministry. He was preaching the gospel. He was preaching about Christ. And they heard him and saw the things that he did. Verse 7, 
four unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Verse eight says, so there was much joy in the city. So people were coming to faith. We see later on that many were baptized. These people that heard Philip and believed what was spoken through his lips. Later on in Acts chapter 14, I read part of this verse earlier, but it says that Paul and Barnabas, verse 3, remained in Iconium for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. So they spoke courageously. They didn't just have a signs and wonders ministry. They spoke courageously for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Signs and wonders don't have the power to save any more than a movie or music. But... As Piper, John Piper says, even if signs and wonders can't save the soul, they can, if God pleases, shatter the shell of disinterest, shatter the shell of cynicism, shatter the shell of false religion. Like every other good witness to the word of grace, they can help the fallen heart to fix its gaze on the gospel where the soul-saving, self-authenticating glory of the Lord shines. And that's what the early church longed for. They wanted this. They prayed for it. They were desperate for it. So if the early church longed for healings, signs, and wonders to accompany their courageous speaking of Christ, shouldn't we as well? Shouldn't we seek God for this? Not just be open to it. Not just say, I'm not a cessationist. I don't believe all this, that stuff passed away. But shouldn't we go further than that and seek after God that he may do this among us and through us as we courageously speak about Christ? To be sure, there are ways of seeking for healing, signs and wonders that are wrong-headed, reckless, and should be avoided like the plague. But if we have the same conviction of the early church and see healings, signs and wonders as means of building up the church, one, and helping bring the lost to faith, then we should long for and desire to see God's power in these ways among us too. We really should. Unless unless, Unless we've advanced beyond the early church and we're like, I know they wanted that. They felt the need for that, but we're good. We're good. We can do without. We are in need of this in our day as well. Both courage to speak a message, and I want to go back and say not just signs and wonders, both courage to speak a message that will be met with resistance. I was speaking to the, to the youth group this Wednesday night. I uh, led youth group this last Wednesday, and <clears throat> we were talking about some different things, and I, I said to them, and they all agreed with me, God's only message to you is not, I love you, and I just love you the way you are. I just want to give you a big hug, right? No, I mean, God speaks hard things to believers, but to preach the gospel to a a world and a culture that is is largely hostile, it will be met with resistance. It will, it will, it is, it is warfare. It is, it is coming against the, wor- the prevalent worldviews and false idols of our day. And so it'll require courage because we don't just go out and tell people God loves them. We have more to say than that. We have to say more than that if we want to see people saved. So both courage to speak the message of Christ and God's hand to be shown powerfully. We should long for both of these I, I agree with John Piper who said, the need of the world today, excuse me, the needs of the world today are so great and the present experience of the church is so weak that we should long for the very thing that the church longed for. And that he's commenting on this passage I'm preaching on. We should long for the same thing they longed for. We should long for the same thing they longed for. God to visit us in power, to give us courage to speak and to accompany with um, powerful demonstrations. So 
What should we do? How do we apply this? I do not want this to be a rah, 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 just go out and, you know. I mean, I, I, I want you to be inspired today, but I realize that this message talking about just evangelism and signs and wonders is, is just full of traps and full of uh, trappings, I should say, and landmines because people can just leave discouraged People can just leave with kind of a fleshly, emotional, rah, rah, we're going to go get them. And I want, you, I want the Holy Spirit to really impress deeply in our souls, I think, some practical, reasonable things we can leave here saying, we're going after this in this way, okay, in this way. So what should we do? First, I think we should develop a missionary mindset concerning the culture we live in. 50 years ago, probably, uh, I wasn't alive then, but from what I read, Christendom was alive and well in our country. You know, Christianity was well accepted. The moral standards of the Ten Commandments were written in, uh, in, in, in um, county and state and uh, federal uh, court systems, all of that, okay? It's not that way anymore. It just isn't that way anymore. I read something that I felt like was astonishing, and he backed up what he said. Mark Driscoll says that only 8% of the American population are probably evangelical Christians, meaning this, those that believe the Bible's authority, the necessity of Christ's atonement, and the exclusivity of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. 8%. Now, this isn't just people that, that kind of whimsically say they're Christian. These are people that have, a, that, that have parameters to their belief that this is what it means to be a Christian, right? 8%. That's stunning. Absolutely stunning. And this is a culture that is becoming increasingly hostile to Christianity. I remember during um, the, the period leading up to Inauguration Day this last January uh, 2013, and um, there's a, a preacher. Uh, he started the Passion Movement. His name's Louis Giglio. He's a, Louis Giglio. He's a pastor in uh, Atlanta as well. And at one time, he was asked to speak, or maybe, maybe not asked to speak, but asked to pray at the inauguration. And the, the president's staff had discovered that he had said something maybe 20 years ago about what the Bible says about homosexual relationships, that, it's, you know, that the Bible says it's sinful, and immediately he was taken off the docket. Can't have that. You can't have anybody that believes that. Something similar happened to Rick Warren. He was knocked off the docket. He can't be there either. In other words, on Inauguration Day 2013, the office of the President of the United States made it abundantly clear, inclusion and acceptance for all Americans no longer includes Bible-believing Christians. Right? That's, that's where we live now. That's where we live. Bible-believing Christians, it's okay what they believe as long as they keep it to themselves. Keep it to yourself, everything's okay. So in a sense, we need to develop a missionary mindset if we want to be effective in our witnessing for Christ. You know, when, when missionaries go overseas, Brian and Mandy, you know, they, they, and they envelop themselves in the culture. They seek ways to communicate, communicate the gospel in the cultural context they're in. And I think we need to grow in that as well. I know I do. We need to grow in that. We need to develop a missionary mindset concerning the culture we live in. We live in a post-Christian culture in America now. Number two, we should pray for our courage. I was listening to a conversation that Francis Chan had with somebody else, and he was talking about just how um, I could really track with him. He said, he said, this gospel is so amazing. It's so amazing. It's good news. I mean, and I believe it, but I find myself oftentimes so fearful just to step out in faith and speak to one of, he said, I can, I can stand in front of a group and preach anything, but that individual evangelism, I struggle with that. And he said, but what I discovered from this passage in Acts 4 was that the early Christians prayed for their courage. 
They prayed for their courage. They prayed for each other that they would be courageous, that they would be bold. We ought to do that. We ought to do that. We ought to be praying together in our life groups. One thing we ought to be praying every week is God give us courage just these next, this next week until next week. And then we'll pray again this next week just for open doors to speak your word in love, but in courage to those that I run into, to my family members, to my neighbors, to the people I work with, um, speak, speaking courageously. The amazing thing is, though, that God takes scared people and makes them courageous. He does this time and again with the same people. Our kids, the ages 6 to 11, uh, I think it ends at 11, the ages 6 to 11, they are learning this morning about the story of Gideon, which is just an amazing story. Gideon was, I mean, he said, I'm, he said, I'm weak. I belong to the weakest tribe in all of Israel, and my family is the weakest of the weakest tribe, and I'm the weakest in my family. And God said, but I'm going to be with you. And we see Gideon becoming this mighty courageous man, not because he was so great, but because God had given him courage and that he was going to be with him. If you feel timid, I do. Oftentimes, if you feel timid, but you don't want to be, then you're in good company. Okay, you feel timid, but you also feel that resistance. I don't want to be timid. There's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with this timidity that I feel sometimes. Then you're in good company. The, the believers in this passage, they gathered together. The first thing they did was they gathered together. And notice what they didn't pray for. I didn't get to this. I didn't say this earlier. They, notice what they didn't pray for. They didn't pray for protection. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying for protection, But they said, God, we've been threatened. We've been told not to preach Christ anymore. And more than likely, they felt this pressure of, and we feel like that'd be a lot easier for us. They said, God, they didn't say protect us. They didn't say keep our family safe. They didn't say, God, put your hedge of protection around us. Keep your angels around us on all sides. They said, give us courage to keep speaking. Powerful. Powerful. So we should pray the same way. We should pray for each other and we should pray, we should pray together. We should pray for each other for this as well. Number three, we should pray and seek God for and long for and be desperate for healings and signs and wonders of God's power to help people come to faith. The early church prayed for this, and, and so should we. As I mentioned earlier, they were not just open to signs and wonders. They seemed to be desperate for them and longed for them. And we should too. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his book, The Sovereign Spirit, said this, It is perfectly clear that the New Testament times... The gospel, excuse me, in the New Testament times, the gospel was authenticated in this way by signs and wonders and miracles of various characters and descriptions. Was it only to be true of the early church? Yes, it's a rhetorical question. Then he answers, the scriptures never anywhere say that these signs were only temporary. Never. There is no such statement anywhere. Signs and wonders do not save anyone, as I mentioned earlier, However, they are still used to help bring people to faith. You know, we've given biblical examples. I could give you many uh, more modern examples, but I want to point out one that I find really fascinating. It was, it was during a time in China, and there was missionaries there from the, from the Southern Baptist Convention. Okay, these are not exactly flaming charismatics, okay? It's from the Southern Baptist Convention. It's called, now it's called the Shantung Revival. And this revival was, was known for its repentance and faith, re, uh, preaching and repentance and faith, but also was known for miracles. Miracles were prevalent and instrumental in helping bring people to faith. One story that I read was of a woman who died and her family had prepared a funeral. So this was a day after they were preparing a funeral a believer had come and prayed for her and she was raised from the dead and many 
many in that entire village came to faith in Christ. They had heard the gospel, but they saw this amazing demonstration of power done in the name of Jesus, and many came to faith in Christ. There might be some here who are... um, who your hesitancy with talking about signs and wonders or any that stuff is not mainly theological, but it's mainly what you see happening in some parts of the church that just seem almost blasphemous. And um, I track with you on that. Uh, there, there's so much done in the name of Christ that I think is very damaging and it does not honor the Lord. However, that doesn't take away from the biblical precedent, what we see in the scriptures, and how we can agree with the early Christians and have the same conviction as them. We don't have to embrace this health, wealth, and prosperity gospel to believe that healings and signs and wonders are for today. And that we can, we can receive God's power to preach the gospel and also that God can do powerful things through our hands to help lost people come to faith. So my third point, what we should do is we should pray together. We should pray together for healings, signs, and wonders to be done through us by God's hand. Number four, this is um, really where the rubber meets the road, but we should take steps of faith, right? Um, It says that after they prayed, the place was shaken where they were gathered and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And we also see that as they spoke, obviously we've gone through examples, that God authenticated, attested, showed up powerfully to say what they're saying is true, right? Put a stamp of, appro- stamp of approval on what they were saying with powerful healing signs and wonders. One that I just think is amazing, uh, just com- comes to mind is, I think it's in Acts chapter 14, where Paul is uh, preaching to the proconsul can't remember the proconsul's name, but this, um, this magician comes. His name is Elamis. And he was a pretty impressive magician. And people were impressed with his exploits in that area. And he was resisting Paul and said, calling Paul a liar and said, don't listen to what this guy has to say. And Paul turns to him and rebukes him and says, you son of, unri- of, 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 of righteousness. And you know, just rebuked him and said, for a while, you're not going to be able to see. And all of a sudden, this guy was blind. And it says right after that, the proconsul believed what Paul said when he saw what happened. But we need to take steps of faith. We need to take steps of faith to speak about Jesus. To ask God for open doors. And then... Maybe also ask God, God, and this is what I, this is what I, I, just, I prayed the other day, because I just, I noticed like this last week, you know, I'm, I pray for open doors, and then God gives me one, and it's like a day later, I, I recognize that was an open door. So I'm like, God, also just, you know, drill a hole through this thick head of mine that I see the open doors when they're there, right? So we should pray for open doors. We should pray that God will give us, so backing up, we should pray for courage. We should pray for each other. We should pray together. We should um, pray for healings, miracles, signs and wonders to accompany the words that we speak about Christ. And we need to step out in faith. John Wimber said, uh, in some circles, famously said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K, right? Risk. And faith is spelled, we need to take risk. Where we just, okay, I'm going I'm to go talk to this person, feel like God's opened this door, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm just going to go for it. Um, we need to also live, I mean, along with this, we need to step out and risk um, praying for people 
You know, just stepping out in faith and praying for people who look like they have needs that God may show up and overcome obstacles to their believing in the gospel as we speak courageously for Christ as well. So I want to close this morning with a couple of quotes from Martin Lloyd-Jones. Weeks ago, um, when we started this series, I said that revival is when the Holy Spirit comes. There are lots of things that happen that are the fruits of revival, but revival is when the Holy Spirit just comes down. And I believe what we talked about today and a lot of what we talked about this, this, these last eight or 10 or 11 weeks are the fruits of revival, but we, just, we want the Spirit to come. We want God's Spirit to be poured out. And this is what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, we, the need today, this was back, this is a book he wrote called Join Speak, well, probably in the 1960s. So every bit as much today, it's a need. The need today is for an authentication of God of the supernatural, of the spiritual, of the eternal, that this, excuse me, and this can only be answered by God graciously hearing our cry and shedding forth again his spirit upon us and filling us as he kept filling the early church. And he also said, what is needed is some mighty demonstration of the power of God, some enactment of the Almighty that will compel people to pay attention and to look and to listen That is why I'm urging you to pray for this. When God acts, listen to this, when God acts, he can do more in a minute than man with all of his organizing can do in 50 years. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's not wait until we go home or until some opportune time this week that may never come uh, to pray that God would do this in our lives. Let's pray today. Father, as we live in this world, God, if we have eyes to see it and just are aware of our surroundings, God, it's not hard to see and feel the pressure and the hostility towards you and your Christ. And God, so we can say in a different way, but also somewhat similar, God, the nations rage against you and against your anointed. And they they still are, God, they're still wagging their fist at you and you're still in the heavens and you still laugh at them. And God, we desire, just as the early church prayed for, God, we long, God, for you to fill us with courage, fill us with brothers and sisters. Pray with me, church, okay? Pray in your own way, pray out loud, pray quietly, but pray with me, okay? God, we we cry out to you, God, for boldness. God, that we would go through this next week, God, with a sense that we are called and we are sent and that we would have boldness and courage to speak for Christ. God, we sang glorious songs, and many raised their hands, and we sang loud, and smiles were on our faces, and we were beaming as we sang of the worthiness of God, of the love of God, of Christ, and what he's accomplished on our behalf. And God, I pray that as we leave here, we would not be mute. God, we sang, I will not be silent anymore. God, I pray that we would have courage, that that would be true that we wouldn't be silent. God, that we would speak freely in love and also in boldness. God, about Jesus, about who he is, about what he's done. God, knowing that it's going to meet with resistance and that uh, there's going to be some that don't want to hear it and um, that we live in a hostile culture. Nevertheless, God, give us boldness. Give us courage. God, I pray that you would that you would enable us, God, to develop or cultivate just more of a missionary mindset, just realizing this is not the 1960s or 50s or 40s any longer. And God, things are just, they're different, God. We live in a, in a culture that is not welcoming of Christ. And so, God, I pray that you'd give us that missionary mindset. And God, don't be bashful to pray for this, church. Stretch forth your hand, God, we pray. Stretch out your hand, God, as we stretch ours out. God, stretch out your hand and do miracles, God, we pray. Healings, Lord. Signs and wonders, God, that would bear witness to the truthfulness of the words that are spoken, that would overcome obstacles, that would certainly build up the church as well, overcome obstacles, shatter, God, the shell of false religions and of cynicism 
and be an aid to bring lost people to faith in Christ. God, I I pray that that you just would turn us outward, God. Jesus, you said the fields, um, the... um, the fields are, ri- are white and re- ready for harvest, but the laborers are few. So pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers in the, in, the, in the field. And God, I pray that we would see ourselves as that. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray that this next week there would be testimonies that we would hear of how, you're, how you've moved, of how you've done um, great things through just regular individuals like all of us here, just like us. We're just, we're just ordinary people. There's nothing extraordinary about us, but we believe that the Holy Spirit lives in us, the Spirit of Christ, who was at work when Jesus was raised from the dead. So I pray for testimonies to come forth, God, from this room today as we go out of here. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share something.